Hello, and welcome to the Flix Forum podcast, where each episode we go back and we look at a Netflix original film in the order of release. Today, we have Netflix's 111th film. It's the 2018 action thriller, Hold the Dark. It's directed by Jeremy Saulnier. It stars Jeffrey Wright, Alexander Skarsgård, James Badger-Dale, Riley Keough, Julian Black Antelope, and Beckham Crawford. I am Jesse, and as usual, joined with MJ. How are you? I'm good, mate. How are you? Good. Super excited to be back and um, putting out another one of these lovely episodes on a, another film that I hadn't seen. Yeah, I, I know you, you floated last week whether you should stop saying uh, what number uh, Netflix original movie that we're actually up to. And I'm going to put in a request to say that you certainly don't stop doing that because I do enjoy it. It's almost like a feat when you sit there and you say what number we're up to. And today, obviously, 111 is a bit of a mouthful for you. I get it. But I do like that sense of accomplishment that we've got through 111 of them. Yeah, I almost had a little bit of a giggle too, going, "Geez, this is <laughs> this, this is so much." But um, no, that was that was um thoroughly enjoyed. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's one one one. It's I don't think we're never going to have a until we get to like two two two. So we're a long way off um, having a combination of three of the same numbers again. So yeah, it's huge. <laughs> Still can't it wait to go. It's good. <laughs> no, it's good. It, it, yeah, we don't even notice it. It just sort of ticks along and all of a sudden we've done 111. Correct. All right. Well, we start off with our fast flicks where we do our own little summary of the film we're talking about. So for Hold the Dark, what are your thoughts, MJ? I found this one a little bit tricky to to summarise in, um, in a nutshell, so to speak. But I've gone with uh, a lonely man is called to a small village to help a grieving family. When he arrives, he starts to discover that things are a bit amiss, although his extensive knowledge of wolves may help, may have him well-placed to come out of this situation alive. Nice. Yeah, very similar. Just a few different words. I've just said, there's a hunter who's called to a small Alaskan town to find a wolf who took a child. However, there seems to be more something more sinister at play. Your one certainly feels more inviting. If, uh, if someone said to me what I just said, hey, watch this movie, I'd be like, oh, it's not really that exciting. Your one actually makes it sound a bit more exciting. So, all right, I'm happy with that. Oh, this could be a good chat. This could be, I think um, we're going to start off right now before we go any further with a spoiler alert, I think, because Great. there's a high chance that we're going to spoil a lot in this film. And I think this is probably a film that if you you did want to see, you, you're going to benefit from not listening to us talk about it um, prior. Um, so if you do want to watch it, give us a pause and then come back afterwards because you might take something from what we say rather than listening to us going, oh, when I go and watch it, that whole thing's ruined. So definitely mm, um, yep. yeah, have a pause for this one because this has got um, some things to, to discuss that, you know, a little bit off the, the the narrative that some you know you you might just pick up from watching it um, straight away. It's a really so, good point. So let's get into that that film history or that idea of how this one was made and what have you got for us, MJ? Yeah, so this is based on a novel. Um, novel was written in 2014 by William Giraldi. Um, so that was 2014, September 2015. Uh, it was announced that Jeremy Solnia would direct this film um, and Macon Blair had actually written this screenplay. So at that point in time, it was going to be distributed by A24. Uh, fast forward to January 2017 and Netflix had come on board and basically acquired those distribution rights. Um, and then they started making this film uh, in, in late February of 2017. So filming took around about two months done in Canada, mainly around sort of Calgary and Alberta and those sort of surrounding areas. Um, and, and basically the, before I go in a little bit further, the, 
the fact that Macon Blair, who we've seen on um, a couple of Netflix films that we've done so far, whether he's, whether he's written it or whether he's directed it, um, Netflix have had a really positive experience with Macon Blair. They were really keen to work with him again. Um, and so when this opportunity came on board, um, they, they were pretty happy to, to give him the reins as much as possible. So where that started was Macon Blair didn't even know about this novel until his agent recommended it to him. Um, thought it might have been something that he'd liked when he read it. He initially or straight away just thought that it was going to be something that Jeremy Solnia could could direct and that's that's how he envisioned it in his mind while he was reading the novel. Uh, and they both decided they wanted to make this movie. So uh, obviously having those runs on the board with Netflix, um, they gave they gave it the A-OK to go ahead and um, it, it basically just aligns with Netflix's global film strategy of working directly with these independent filmmakers and producers who, who just want to make a film because they're passionate about it. Um, and, and that's where we got to. Yeah. And, and this is the, the sixth time that um, the director, Jeremy um, Sauna worked with Macon Blair. So obviously uh, having Macon Blair able to get him on board, they've, they've worked together. So they know how each other work as well. So that's a, another sort of thing that sort of ties in nicely with that, that little narrative, yeah, absolutely. Which, is, um, which is really good to hear. Um, the, I looked up some of the the translations for this one uh, as as my mm. new little favorite thing to do to sort of see what it sort of translates into into other countries and languages. So the English title is obviously "Hold the Dark." So there's a lot of variations on the word "dark" in a lot of the titles. Um, in France, it was called "No Man or God," which was um, right. a did one. And then there's a few that that use the word "wolf" in their um, in their titles. So in Germany, it was called "Wolf Nights." In um, Greece, Spain, mm. Vietnam, and Romania, it was called The Night of Wolves. Um, mm. In Hungary, it was called Keep the Darkness Inside. And in Norway, it was called Let the Darkness Wait. So a couple of different takes on that word dark, but um, all obviously the English version's taken the direct um, title from the novel, yeah. like you mentioned before. So um, yeah, it's nice just to see a couple of different little ideas with the word wolf in there, which obviously um, has a, a big play um, in this, this film as well. I'm all right with a lot of those titles. I think I don't think they've gone too far out of it, and I think they they keep the uh, the suspenseful mystery side of things alive. So that they're all pretty good. Hmm. So uh, this one debuted at the Toronto International Film Festival on the mm-hmm. 12th of September 2018. Then it played in Fantastic Fest in America um, about 10 days later, and then about a week later on the 28th of September 2018, it was released on uh, Netflix, which. Um, again, is the the same day and date as today as when we're recording as last week. So we're two years out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're holding that two year gap. We're holding that two years. We're not we're not making up any time. Uh, <laughs> this was it was nominated for one award, which was the CAFTCAD Awards, which is which was about costumes and design awards, and um, it won for best costume design in a contemporary film. And it was actually up against a couple of films that we, we know about. So uh, right. it was up against To All the Boys I've Loved Before, okay. which we've covered, obviously. It was up against a Harry and um, Meghan Markle movie, which looks like a bit of a hallmarky sort of movie. And the right. other one it was up against was The, the Christmas Chronicle, which um, is a, a film that we're going to cover in a couple of months' time um, on this podcast yeah. too. So um, a big Netflix feel to, for, for that award. Um, yeah. yeah, right. Have you got any other things before we look at the consensus? No, I think I think you've sort of covered covered most of what I've got. So there's a nice little backstory to this film, and it's probably one of the films that 
had a pretty strong, I guess, critical lead in before just popping itself onto Netflix. Obviously, they shopped it around a little bit on, on film festivals, which is a positive sign. Um, and then they obviously get to rip the rewards of saying, and you can watch it in your own lounge room straight away. So it's it's a fascinating thing that that's just become the norm now, eh? Mm, I agree. So what were the critics saying then, MJ? Uh, to be honest, yeah, it, it's probably real middle of the road kind of stuff if, if you really look at the numbers. Um, sitting at a 5.6 out of 10 on IMDb, and it's got 32,000 ratings, so... I think Netflix is pretty happy with the amount of people that watch this. Obviously we don't have access to, or nobody has access to how many people have actually streamed Netflix's movies as it's their data and they could do whatever the hell they want with it. But we can see how many people rated it on, on major platforms and 32,000 is on the, on the higher side from Netflix films. Um, And it's basically on par with what it was uh, on IMDb as it is on Letterboxd. So it's a 2.9 out of five, uh, on Letterbox, twenty two thousand seven hundred ratings there. So, middle of the road. I think they probably would have liked it to be a little bit higher, a little bit greater consensus in in, in here, but not. You know, it's certainly not a shocker. Well, yeah, looking at the the Rotten Tomato side of things, sitting on a fresh consensus on seventy one percent, and that's on eighty three reviews. So, on the higher end from the the critics' point of view, yeah, the audience completely disagree the audience had it at 31 percent. that's on about 1200 views and and that sort of uh, ties in pretty closely with google users for a change this is the the lowest we've seen google users had it at 38 percent, which is uh extremely low (laughs) extremely insane low and yeah I, i think that's probably the lowest we've had which uh says that you know the people that went out of their way to actually on that when you google search the film and give it a thumbs up or a thumbs down um have have gone out on this one and said nah this they didn't like this one google users sit above 70 percent, just like as a rule mm. <laughs> that, that number we see is always so high i think i know, I know i've harped about, i probably harp on about this every six or seven episodes jesse but you, we've got a decent size film for netflix and the consensus of audience on rotten tomatoes was 1,200 people compared to 32,000 on IMDb and nearly 23,000 on Letterboxd. Like, when could people start to just start to really ignore these audience scores on on, on um, Rotten Tomatoes and have a look at some really po- more popular platforms? I mean, fair enough for the critic stuff. I get if people want critic responses, Rotten Tomatoes does have a nice algamation of, of all the critic responses, but... Um, people don't really care about logging their logging their ratings on um, on Rotten Tomatoes, and that's why we go to the IMDb. Obviously, the big popular one that everyone knows about, Letterboxd, certainly growing in stature, which is nice to see because it's a, it's a wonderful platform. Um, and there's just there's enough numbers there to get a real consensus. Anyway, I harp on about it all the time, but if this is the first episode you listen to, <laughs> ignore Rotten Tomatoes as much as possible. <laughs> The and 1200 reviews from the audience is, is huge for Rotten Tomatoes. You sometimes we see, you know, 12 people or something, so yeah. um, so it's quite a quite a big one. All right, so uh, what are your early thoughts on this one, MJ? Yeah, look, I um, I really enjoyed this watch. Um, I really enjoyed the fact that the story kind of kept changing from what I was anticipating, and I like that. Um, I found the, the Jeffrey Wright character quite fascinating uh mainly the idea of his relationships with wolves he has this empathy as a parent he's a really lonely guy and his his understanding and reading of the whole situation just 
I, I couldn't keep my eyes off him. Um, and that feeling of something being off is really well maintained throughout the entire film. Um, and the idea of this sort of wolf demon possession, which was floated really early, got my attention as kind of up my alley, which I didn't know it would have been, but it was. Um, so I, I think the finale was a little bit clunky and I, I lose some points to that, but it certainly had me intrigued to dig a little bit deeper as soon as the credits are rolling and, and probably going to make for a interesting discussion uh, as we dis- as we figure out what, what everything meant and what we thought about it uh, in this podcast right now. Yeah. I'm, I'm just like, I, I haven't had one like an episode in a while where I've been hanging out so desperately to have a chat to about what, what was actually going on in this movie. Uh, and I watched it, I, you know, I was enjoying it and I got to the end and I was like, I can't stop thinking about this because there's just so much more that I want to know about this. And I spent hours reading, oh, watching, wow. um, looking at all different takes on this film. So I'm really excited to have a chat about, um, you know, how, how each of us read this and, and what our take of this is. Well, I am glad that you spent hours on that because you're going to be quite well equipped. I, I spent a bit of time as well. And as I sort of said, as soon as the credits, credits are rolling, I was like, oh, I need to find some stuff out that didn't quite add up to me or didn't make sense or I missed something. So, um, yeah, I, it's going to be interesting to see. So, yeah. I was just lying in bed. I'm lying in bed. I, I, need, I need to know more. I need to know more. Um, so, yeah. So, let, let's uh, get into it and talk about some characters. So, hit us off with uh, some characters to talk about. Well, ordinarily, I would I would talk about the the main protagonist in the film, but I, I just want to probably start by talking about Vernon and Medora because I think it, discussing these characters first will frame probably the rest of the conversation full stop. Um, so let's let, let me let me start with this. So Medora and Vernon didn't know this whilst watching, but they are twins. Uh, and I'm okay with this because they're, so they're twins in the book. Um, and there's enough evidence to suggest that they are twins in the film as well. Obviously, the, the fact that you've got these Nordic looking people who live amongst Native Americans, but also that line at the very start where Medora says, I didn't meet him anywhere. I knew him my whole life. I don't have a memory he isn't in. Really explicit. Um, and I, I, I found it curious at the time. So you got these guys, they're twins. They, this is now, this is now my read. They, they sort of believe that they're wolves or that they at least have this spiritual connection to wolves and, and the way of wolves. And, um, you know, one way of, of really doing this is donning that wolf mask. It's a strong piece of symbolism throughout the whole film. I, I think it's also from an audience member looking in, it's a sign of a quite a psychotic, unstable nature that they have as well. And, um, <sighs> there's two reasons that I can think of as to why Medora killed her son. Um, and one being that wolf-like behavior that, that core witnessed where they sacrifice the pups when, when things are scarce or the second reason is that she wanted to protect them from this darkness that she spoke about that exists in this world and, and probably exists more because she's a little bit unstable. I'm leaning towards that being the main reason but I think both those reasons work in conjunction to that wolf-like behavior that's already in their wheelhouse. And it sounds insane talking about it like this and trying to break it down. But when you, when it comes together in your head and you watch it on the screen at all, the pieces do kind of fit. Do you have a better way of articulating or do you have a different theory on, on, on those two characters? I like the way that you, you broke it down to start off with, because I, my 
my, the way I'm going to talk about this is going to be all over the shop. I don't, I don't mm. know where to put things or how to talk about things because I, I, there's so much to it, I guess. And I think that, like you mentioned that in the book, they're twins. And I think it's probably important that in, like I read one of the interviews with um, the director Solana um, and, mm-hmm. and he says that he actually shot footage that revealed their, their true nature of their relationship, but decided to leave it out because he thought it, it added to the story better if it was unspoken about. So, so yes, we, we can definitely say that, yes, they are brother and sister. Yep. Um, and yeah, I think that the way you look at it is, is a really good way. There's, there's two ways of looking at it through this, um, this darkness and this uh, mental instability between the two. And you can also look at it and there's not, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer because you can also look at it through this, sure. this idea of this, this wolf, these wolf ideas as well, that if you, you wanted to sell it enough as you want, you could sell it that they take on this persona, persona of these mm. wolves. And, and yeah, I think that my sort of take on Medora was that, that she had this split personality, almost disorder that was sort of from this depression or from this, this, um, this focus on this blackness or this darkness. And, you know, the, the, the way that that came up was that Vernon promised never to leave her and, um, all the, well, and I guess, you know, the, without, um, with him gone, you take on this idea of this wolf pack and, you know, her killing her mm. own child is that idea of, it's the survival of the the pack. And they talk about these things throughout, yeah. which we'll talk about a bit more, more, I'm sure. And even like the local people around the local indigenous people saw her as evil as well. And, and you could see this in her, in her thinking that she, you know, she purposely leaves this lock unlocked for um, Russell to find the the child and, and all these sorts of things. So um, yeah, I, th- I think that exactly the way that you've spoken about it is a, is a really good way to break it down. And Vernon on the other side too, you know, the, the, that you, the first thing you see him is as a soldier and you see him, you know, do, doing the right thing. You see that they try to set him up as this guy who's got these morals to, you know, he sees a, another soldier, a fellow partner doing the wrong thing to a local woman. And, you know, he, he, he murders him straight away. And, and he sort of shows that. And another thing you say early on is this flashback he has with his son. And he talks mm. to his son about, you know, protecting what you love and what you need. And to me, the two of them, that's all it is. They're, they're, they're in this pack together. They're protecting what, what they need to protect for themselves. And obviously that leads into a lot of these different ideas and, and what actually did happen or what, what we can sort of contemplate on that too. So yeah, my, my ideas are going to be all over the shop with this as well. No, that's good. And the Vernon thing is it's, you're right as well. I mean, it sets up a guy who is really comfortable killing and murder and murdering people just in general. That's something that he's okay with. And as you said, for, for the right moral reasons or for following the right rules is why he does it. The difference is it, it's, it's his rules. It's, it's his set of rules as to why he thinks it's okay to murder someone. And, and similarly what you said, that flashback with his son, he, he basically says like murdering or killing is not a bad thing. Like if, if you've got a reason to do it, if you're doing it to, you know, protect yourself or progress yourself. And we certainly see that kind of behavior um, further on in the film. Hmm. All right. So you sort of mentioned earlier that Russell Kaur is sort of someone that you wanted to spend a bit of time on or you connected with him. What, what were some thoughts about him? Yeah, I, I just think he was a great guy to throw into this scenario. Like there's obviously this absurdity to the way that Vernon and Medora behave. Um, and if we're going to go down this plot with them at the center and this wolf-like behavior, it makes sense to throw an expert like Russell Kaur into the story. And what makes it more fascinating is that he's got his own you know, family or parenting issues that he's coming to terms with. Um, 
he, he has this, this isolation and estrangement that he feels as a father, all the while navigating a case of two people who, who feel this similar disconnection, albeit for completely different reasons. Um, and it just, it just worked for me seeing this guy come in. There's no way he isn't there if he's not having these issues as a father. And here he is trying to investigate, obviously, the murder of a son. So that, that connection there with him as well. And I just, I enjoyed exploring all sides of, of Core's character, um, like the wolf expert side, which obviously came in very handy throughout this investigation that they had, but also this isolated father and um, having, having to impart wisdom to, to Donald at times, but also understanding the loss that you can feel from not he hasn't necessarily lost a child, but he's lost them, you know, emotionally. So it just, it just fit. He just considering they're just crazy characters to follow. This is the perfect character to throw in and make it all work. And I just, I found him quite fascinating. Yeah. I, I agree with everything you said. I, I just like thought this, this setup of this perfect opportunity for him to reconnect with his daughter, just laid that groundwork with all the, the different relationships that he has throughout the film and they're all pretty much to do with being a, a parental sort of figure. And, and you even said, like you've mentioned that, you know, with Donald and, and with um, Medora and Vernon, but even like there's a, there's a shootout scene. And even the, the way mm. he, he looks out for one of the, the, the young cops almost, it's just, an, it's just this, this uh, paternal sort of side to him that is just um, warming in such a cold and isolating um, film based, not just and the, the idea that he, he's there to, kill a wolf like that's the task that he that he's been brought in on even though this is a guy who doesn't like to kill wolves i think he said that he's done it once and, and it was like a really difficult thing for him to do so he wasn't necessarily going there but he understood the pain of the, the child and, and the pain that medora felt so it, it all just kind of came together nicely as to because i can imagine it being really difficult to write a character into this story and um i've done it really well good um and what are, is there anyone else that you want to touch on a little bit? The only other mainish character I, I did want to talk about was was Donald, played by James Badgedale. I really like James Badgedale, and I must must be said. Um, but in terms of this character, I mean, what's not to like about this bloke? He's this small town sheriff who's basically running a team of bumbling rookies. He's reasonable and he's measured with these criminals. Um, he's brave. He doesn't back down, and most importantly, he listens. This is what I think I like about this character the most. He listens to the stories of our main protagonist and takes him on face value, which as an audience, we appreciate because we know that Core is telling the truth. And I could just so easily see Core saying all this stuff and the, the authority figures being like, oh, sure, that's a ridiculous idea. Even they're like, no, no, we know it's, it's true. I, I'm glad the story didn't go down that route. And the one thing I do want to say about him, I, I, I think he deserved a bit more of a hero's death. I was a bit... um. I was a bit disappointed with how non non plus that death was. I uh, yeah, I, yeah, I think that yeah, you, you've summed that up so well because to me, the best way to describe him is he's a cop with a kid on the way and he's just trying to do the right thing. And I really like I I really thought he was a good character too. I, I liked that. Um, but yeah, exactly everything that you've said about him has been been good. <laughs> um, I the other person I just wanted to talk briefly on was um Cheon, who was the Cheon, yeah. Cheon um. I think to me, his only motivation was that he felt let down by the police. 
um, did nothing for his missing kid. He's obviously lost his wife and he just wanted revenge on the cops. And I think it was just like this side step in the film to sort of throw us off a little bit to try and put our attention somewhere else. So I thought that because, yeah, I mean, he picks, he obviously picks up Vernon from the airport. You think possibly mm. he's in on something with him, but I don't, I don't think that there, he ever actually was on with anything with Vernon. It was more his own mini story inside this story to sort of throw the audience off on, on what Vernon was actually doing. Um, which yeah, I like I, that. It's, um, you're right because it certainly throws like the whole time you're thinking, okay, here's some sort of cultish behavior that's going on. Um, and, and I even thought at the time that the, the shootout was, was all part of the plan. Uh, and I don't think you find later on when, when Vernon finds out that Xion's killed, he was just kind of like, what, like where'd that come from kind of thing. So, and even the fact that his son was missing, I, I, I again, I, th- I thought there was something more to it that it was connected, but you know, obviously not. Um, it's a good point. I think it's worth bringing up because that is a little bit of a red herring in the story, but also an engaging side plot regardless. Mm. The the last, I haven't done this in a while, but the Alaskan wilderness as a character was, um, was quite impressive. Um, and that will, um, yeah, I'll talk about that in the scenes a little bit later on, but that, that vastness and that emptiness and that, that such that sharp white um, contrast of, mm. of some of the, the darker scenes was just, um, yeah, visually engaging. Yeah, good, good point. All right, um, director time. Anything you wanted to talk about with the director? Uh, big fan of Macon Blair. <laughs> yeah. So the, the only thing I put in there, his other um, film that's pretty well known is The Green Room. And um, I, I've had that on DVD since um, since it came out. And I think I just need to watch that as soon as possible now because I haven't watched it. Um, and I, just, I think I need to watch that ASAP. Um, this is it. Yeah, this is the kick up the ass you need yeah, and he's also directed a couple of episodes of True Detective, which is a great show if you haven't um, season one in particular. Um, get on board if you haven't watched uh, True Detective season one. All right, scene time. What are some things in this one that stood out for you? Um, look, the, the first scene with the wolves um, when Russell Core is is basically trying to track track this wolf at the start. Um, seeing his panic when he got the rifle and um, cause you know, this is a guy who has written a book about living with wolves for a year or whatever. Um, you, you tend to think that this, this guy's going to be invincible when it comes to navigating his way around a, the, the wilderness that you spoke about, but also the wolves in general. And I just liked seeing, um, seeing his panic in his face, you know, you get an understanding of the fact that you're never going to be invincible to wolves, no matter how much, you know, and, um, I just like the fact that he knew that he was supposed to be fearful in this scene. And I found it pretty gripping. It didn't lead anywhere. It obviously introduced us to the wolves and introduced us to his character uh, on, a, on a deeper level, but the scene itself was, was quite gripping. Um, so that certainly got the ball rolling for me. And, and then it really sort of picked up obviously when he, when he discovered the boy, uh, that was a huge scene. And I spoke about <laughs> this movie kept changing directions for me in a really good way. I, here I am initially thinking this movie is going to be about a guy who's out in the Alaskan wilderness walking around trying to find a wolf. And all of a sudden the, the story changes completely. And um, we've, we've got the fact that the boy, you know, was, was right under his nose straight away. And uh, that certainly is going to be a scene that I remember uh, for, for quite a long time. Um, one thing I loved about this movie that the authority figures who make these decisions like the 
Donald and, and some of the other cops, they're not stupid. Like they were acting the way that the audience and, and Mr. Core and everyone was, was reading things as well. Like they knew that something was up with the wife, with Medora, you know, they knew that Vernon was the one who was in on it straight away when he obviously had that rampage at the uh, police station. A lesser movie would place blame elsewhere and put him on a, you know, a, a wild goose chase and really frustrate the audience. And this movie wasn't about that at all. And I really appreciated that. Um, so that's probably not a scene per se as much as it's just a, a piece of the film that I did like. Um, and then the, the, the scene that will stick out for me for this film is the, the just the, the Cheon scene, I guess I'll call it. That, that was, that was one for the ages. Um, that, that chilling conversation at the start and, you know, the reference of talking about that phone call to your wife. Um, and then this just insane shootout, the invention, the eventual takedown of him. Um, it was like 20 minutes of just being on edge. It was an enormous scene and I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I, I couldn't, couldn't get enough of it to be perfectly honest. Yeah, as much I've, as it um, might've dragged, yeah. I didn't want it to finish. I've um, yeah, exactly. Like that. And I was thinking just over time that this whole conversation with all oh, that phone call to your wife, like what's, what's going on sort of thing. And then, mm. yeah, I, I mean that I've got that in there too. I thought it was pretty obvious that, that that shootout was going to happen. Like you, you could see it coming a mile off, but the, 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 the actual, um, the actual shootout was just pretty cool. <laughs> it was, it was yeah, really it was, yeah, it was really, really powerful scene. Mm. Uh, and the last scene I, I, I did, did really like was, uh, and this is how I sort of enjoyed the character of, of Russell Core more than anything else is that, that that scene that he had having dinner with the, with Donald and his wife. I like the conversation they had on parenting, uh, that idea that, you tell yourself that you'd do anything for them and it sounds right coming out of your mouth and then you go on living your life. You understand, obviously, that's that's his real motivation for being there in the first place with his daughter being close by and, and the ability to, to reconnect. But just the, the honesty in why he has become alienated from his family is not a malicious thing at all. It's, to be honest, and I, I'm someone who doesn't have kids, so I, I can't empathise with it, but that idea that, yeah, you, you honestly believe that you're going to do everything that's possible, but as, as time goes on, you just keep living your life and you, and you kind of don't do it. It's, it feels like a really normal thing and I can completely understand it. And, you know, that side of his character, just again, he just went to another level and connected with me there as well. So it was, it was a really good piece of dialogue in that scene. Nice. Good. All right. Well, um, I haven't got much to add because that, that, um, yeah, that big shootout was was great. Um, I mentioned earlier that the cinematography was beautiful. Um, the in particular, like the the hike that Russell goes on at the start, just the the surroundings was just awesome to look at. And then I think the other part that stood out was when he got in the plane with Donald and that plane just going around. Some of those shots that they were following the plane yeah. and stuff was breathtaking. They were so good. Um, the only other thing that I've that I'll point out is, um, and this is one because I, I really enjoyed it and I still don't have an answer for it or an understanding for it, but there's a scene where um, the the older sort of lady in the community was talking about this time where the wolves came and, and the white people called it like influenza and, um, you know, there were bodies everywhere and and then the, the cut goes to um, Russell in his hotel room and he's, he's trying to call his daughter, he's trying to reconnect and there's tissues everywhere and there's cough syrup and pills and, and I'm just trying, I was trying to connect 
and I think it's another thing that they just used, chucked in there to try and throw you off. That I don't think there's any any explanation to it. He was just cold after his hike. Um, but I was trying to work out. Oh, she's talking about the influenza and this this attack. What's is he coming down with whatever this was? And I think it was just a dead end that that got me. So I, I like that because I don't have an. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of read her comment about the influenza as um, the fact that influenza did actually hit the town, but because they were so. Um, um, behind the times that they just kind of chalked it up to like a, a wolf thing. But um, yeah, I, I got no idea whether that's the way that it was supposed to be read. Yep. Good. All right. What are some things that you possibly didn't like? Yeah. I, I, not much, but I, I didn't like it when, um, when Donald said, and it's actually in the same scene I spoke about when they're doing the dishes at the end. And he said, as soon as this is over, I'm going to take her on a vacation to the Caribbean. Um, when you say that, you know he's going to die. I, 100%. It's like the classic, oh, I've got one more day to retirement. Rah, rah. Um, so that that disappointed me. I was like, don't, don't forebode his death. I like this guy. Um, and, you know, of course it happened. So Good. didn't like that. Didn't need that line. Um, I also didn't love it as soon as uh, Russell figured out about the hot springs and thought, oh, this is the place, right? Vern had that dream about it. Um, not that Vern just all of a sudden had an epiphany at the exact same time Russell did. I'm sure Vern knew that this was where they were going to meet at some point or something like that. But I didn't need that explicity um, as an audience member because this, this film is not explicit. That's, that's probably one of the things I do like about it. It felt a little bit like, oh, let's go to the hot springs. And next thing, Vernon's like, I'm going to the hot springs. It was like, oh, well, yeah. I'm, maybe it would have looked clunky if Vern had just rocked up there. But I, I kind of had the feeling that he he knew the path he was on and going. Yeah, I don't know. It just it just felt a little bit clunky. But I, you know what? That's that's me clutching at straws for a film that was pretty damn good. Yeah, my, mine are similar. They're not anything in particular because I get why they were there. I just didn't really like the scenes. I guess um, the first one was when Medora was in the bathtub and um, Russell sort of woke up and she sort of you know, walked out naked and then lay next to him or got him to sort of choke her and with the mask on. With the mask on though, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I, get, I get the whole, I don't know, it just felt a bit weird, like to start off with when I'm like, oh, maybe you're losing me a little bit. And the other similar sort of thing that was when um Vernon sort of takes out that, the morgue and all the cops at the morgue and then takes the kid's body and then gets the, co- builds the coffin and, and puts the blood on the coffin. I'm like, oh, where's this going? Like, I was like, oh, maybe this is turning more into a supernatural thing than I thought. Mm. Again, probably another thing that, they were doing to try and throw me off a bit, but that's about all that really, yeah. Just two things that nearly, nearly lost me, but didn't. <laughs> it's a good point because both those scenes, you're right. They, they, they don't necessarily do much at the time, but looking back on them there, they're super relevant and super yeah. important, particularly the one with her and the wolf mask at the start. Yes, exactly. All right. Well, um, let's lead into what this one's talking about. Then what are some, and I've got, this is all con, like confuddled for me. I've got so much different stuff. So try and start off. You usually put stuff together. Well, yeah, look, I to be honest, I'm glad we. I just brought up the the wolf mask. I do want to speak about the the recurring theme or the motif of of the wolf mask in general. Um, and it's almost like when they put the mask on, it, it's this physical embodiment of them being and behaving like a wolf. And it's it's interesting how Medora used it at the start, like you spoke about. Uh, I, I feel like she used it at the beginning to to build a connection with with Russell. Uh, a connection that we know that he already has with this species. Um, but it's, it's interesting with that symbolism of, of the strangling. It was almost like there was a clue to where 
you know, sorry, to what she did to her son and, and, you know, whether there was some sort of revenge to break her out of her funk. I don't know what that all sort of meant, but it, it does kind of come together a little bit. Um, and then when Vernon used it, he, he basically used it to be a hunter, uh, killing for protection like, like a wolf would. Um, obviously, like they both believe they are wolves or have this spiritual connection to wolves and the ways of wolves in some way. And donning this mask was a really strong piece of symbolism here. And, and as I sort of said, I think from the outside looking in, it's also a sign that these guys are completely off their nutters. Um, if you saw someone walking around the wolf mask trying to behave as normal as possible, then you think something's up. So... Uh, I think there's just a lot to unpack with that mask. And you know what, even when they didn't have the mask on, they were still connected to the species. But um, I just found it quite interesting, the, the fact that uh, they, they kind of use that differently. They have very different connections. And whether there's a difference between male and female wolves, I actually don't know. And now that I just mentioned that, I wouldn't mind looking it up, <laughs> whether they do behave differently in that sense. So uh, a lot to unpack with that. Yeah, I'll just jump on the back end of that, I guess, too. Is just, yeah, like you mentioned, the... The, the difference, and this is where I struggled a bit with Vernon, I guess, because we saw like without that mask, he was still pretty, pretty, or had that ability to, to kill quite yeah. easily. Um, I think some of the, like a lot of the, the kills that he did were like sort of through the neck, like wolves do when they attack prey, which I thought was quite a, a good sort of oh, symbol yeah. that you see, especially with, um, with Donald at the end, like that, that mm. goes straight through his neck. And I thought that, um, yeah, like you mentioned, that strangling the bed too. It could have been this idea about her killing that human persona almost. Um, and oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, and that that same it ties into with Vernon calls um, calls Russell Core the Wolfman the whole time. So he has this this connection with him, sort of showing that idea that you know he does have this connection to wolves because he knows that this guy does as well. So he can feel that off him. But that might lead into something a little bit later too. I've just got so many different thoughts going through my head. <laughs> Yeah, that's, I mean, the only other thing I wanted to unpack a little bit here and before you can sort of really start regurgitating what you've got and we can sort of chat through it is just that idea of murder, um, which is obviously quite prominent throughout the film. We know Vern is very liberal with the idea of murder. Um, we obviously know this from the chat with his son, also the fact that, you know, that the murder that he was doing in the Middle East whilst had its reasons is still not the kind of thing that normal people do. Um, but he does it obviously to protect himself and protect his family or, or so he thinks, you know, uh, that idea to give his son a proper burial meant that he murdered like six guys. <laughs> like, um, and then looking at Russell, he, he, he's not, he doesn't, he doesn't have that same connection with murder. He only, as I said, he only ever killed one wolf. He didn't like the idea of killing them. He hung back at that shootout with Cheon. Um, we know he's quite handy with a rifle. Um, and even when he did finally join in, he did it to protect others. It's almost like this idea of a, he was a, a lone wolf searching for a pack, whereas Vernon Medora already had the pack. And, and that behavior is quite different. The idea of a lone wolf versus a pack of wolves. And again, I don't know enough about wolves, whether there's something more there, but I, I think they, they all have, those three characters will have connections with wolves and, their connections, you know, look differently on the way they behave around murder. Oh, I like that. That leads into that because they, they made it very explicit, this idea of this savaging too, where um, you've got this idea of, you know, killing um, the, the youngers the, or the younger sort of parts of the pack to sort of reunite or, or get the, you know, the back pack back on board. And mm. 
so this is the, yeah, this is at the start, I guess, where Medora, um, you know, she misses Vernon so much that the only way that she feels to get him back is to kill this child almost. And, um, oh, yeah. he's, you know, he's, he's getting, um, he's getting his pack back and, you know, this is through that hot springs and, and they go to this hot spring and this is almost this cleansing thing that they can do. And, you know, she leaves that mask behind at that, that Indian dude's place. Oh, the, not the, the, the hunter, um, yep. his place. Yep. And, you know, she takes the oils to cleanse and it's, you know, like you mentioned, humans are sometimes just as savage as wolves as well. Cause these, they are obviously human, so they can yep. be savage too. Um, and yeah, that, and it leads into that darkness of this idea too, I guess that, if you wanted to take it as a side of a mental health sort of issue with this one, that, you know, based on this darkness of you've got incest, you've got regret, you've got guilt. Um, and it ties into the title, hold the dark that, you know, mm. hold the dark is this idea of depression and th- that metaphor of, you know, the, the, the black dog Institute is that metaphor of dog, um, you know, being yeah. a part of, of depression as well. And, you know, he's got a bit of, post-traumatic stress from from the war possibly and she's got there was mention of her having postnatal um issues mm-hmm. from having the child and the whole community treats them as outsiders too so there's this this idea too that they're they're, they're struggling um you know they are those lone wolves in the pack they are on the outside of their of the community that they live in anyway at least um, i think there's some nice ideas there for sure and that obviously ties in literally with the fact that we've got you know more more hours in the dark throughout the day than there are hours in the light where they live. So um, it's, that's really, really clean. Yeah. And the only other, the other sort of little like thing that I liked from this was this idea that they did this through, um, through Cheon that this idea that the big city people sort of leave the indigenous communities behind without help and, you know, ignore their pleas and, Oh, you know, we, we gave you plumbing. What more do you want from us? That those sorts of ideas too. I, I sort of, um, yeah, I appreciate it. They were happy to sort of throw that in the, in their faces and say, this is why I'm shooting you all up. Yeah. Not that it's a, a, right, the right thing to do, but yeah. <laughs> no, but also it's not like you don't sympathize with the police police in this movie. Um, Cause the, you know, they, as much as they are big city, they still felt like very small town. Uh, it just felt like Cheon's town was a hell of a lot smaller. In fact, it was a village as opposed to a town. So uh, yeah, it, it's 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 a nice idea to bring in the whole look after the little man and listen to what the little man actually wants as opposed to what you think they want. Hmm. Are we ready to move on to what you took away from this film? Yeah, I think so. I think so. So, look, for me, I, what I liked most about this movie was it was a story that had layers and it, it kept changing and it therefore kept me really interested. And I think the characters, as I've sort of spoken about, they're really well-placed to exist together and this, this brooding mood that the film had throughout the entirety was really appealing too. And I would happily, I would happily recommend this movie. Um, I got a lot of good things to say about it. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm along the, the same sort of way. There's just so many different ways to interpret this film and look at this. And like I've said, the, the, the extra reading I've done on this one's just kept me engaged in this hours after I've watched it. And so yeah. to me, you know, that, that's such a good thing in a film. If you can keep engaged with it after like, uh, yeah, it's, it's a positive for me. Did you have any inclination that they were um, twins or brother and sister when you're watching it? Um, only like I had like, and I, I was like when they had, he had that photo and it was like the two kids and they were both blonde haired you know, little kids. I was like, Oh, this seems a bit off. And I think she made a men or one of the characters made a mention of, Oh, when you and your sister were here or something. 
And that's sort mm. of like, I was like, oh, that's a bit off. We haven't heard about the system. They're like, oh, hang on. So I, I had, but I, I didn't fully pick up on it until after. Yeah. That's uh, probably better than me. Cause when I read it, as soon as I read it, I was like, makes sense. I got, I, sense, I, I can't yeah. poke any holes in that, but watching it, it, it never even occurred to me. Yeah. Which is great. Which, which is nice. I, I don't want things Some, to something be. Something felt off. Like the whole thing felt off to me. I didn't know what it was, but it felt <laughs> off. So I was like, oh, there's something here that's not right. <laughs> Uh, yeah all right well the whole IMDb. the whole theme of the film felt off the whole time that was what was yeah. so good about it yeah true well imdb time did you jump on to check anyone out <laughs> I, I jumped on in the first minute because the kid i was like ah that's kid i don't know i don't know where he is but he looks so familiar I, but i bet you i'll find out what he's in and i looked at it and i had no idea so i was completely wrong but that kid, <laughs> the kid looked like someone <laughs> good that's all right i this one I feel stupid about because I know at the end of last episode, I read the cast out and I spoke about um, James Badgedale who plays Donald. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, you know, I was like, oh, um, um, I was like, oh, I was looking at Sandcastle, one of the films that we did. And I was like, oh, he was in Sandcastle. And I was like, couldn't find him anywhere. I'm like, oh no, nah, he was in clinical. No, not clinical. Um, Spectral. <laughs> he was in Spectral, Spectral, another film that we did. And I think that I possibly got them confused because I've been watching, um, the Enola Holmes with Henry Cavill and Henry Cavill was in Sandcastle. So I think I'm just getting all my actors <laughs> messed up at the moment. So that's where I'm at. <laughs> James Badgedale was awesome in Spectral and, and I made a point of uh, I met, taking a mental note about him when, uh, when I thought he was so good. So I kept an eye out for his name. And when you said last week, James Badgedale was in it, I was excited. Yeah, good. All right, well, this is the part where I've got heaps and heaps to talk about, but question time. What, ask, ask away. Ask me some stuff, please. All my questions kind of revolve around the same thing. Oh, actually, one of my, two of my questions, but well, one of them, they all kind of revolve around the same thing, so I'm going to try and condense it, but why do they, why do they spare Russell um, at the end? Is it, uh, you know what, I'm going to, before I give you options, you know, why do they spare him in your mind? I got my theories. I want to know yours. Okay. I think it's about the boots. It's all to do with the boots. So okay. the, the boots. So um, what's her name? Medora made a big deal at the start saying, you need different boots if you're going to go out in those woods. So she obviously lends him, um, lends him the boots from the house. Mm-hmm. And he's got, so the, I think there's about three times that the wolves come near him and they don't attack him any time. So to me, it's either the the boots, the wolves know that those boots belong to Vern, so they don't attack him because Vern's actually a wolf and they know that's his human form, mm. and that's why he's protected. Um, that yeah, that or they smell like Vern, so they don't go near him because it smells like Vern. That's that's my thoughts. Interesting. I like that theory. I, I hadn't considered that. So for me, I've got two reasons, and I I, I like them both. I think they fit both, but. The main reason is because of his relationship with the wolves and they're familiar with his relationship and how he loves and treats wolves. Yep. Um, so they have, they have this instant respect for him and, and obviously they don't want to kill him. But I do think that there's another reason um, and that is almost to, to tell their story. Like This is a guy who is a writer. He can tell a story. And I, I almost feel like there's a movie at the end the first thing that pops into my head was because this movie kind of ends and you sort of think like, oh, what, it, you know, what, what is all this? And I, I think of it as almost like it's a, it's a storyteller's story. And, and uh, Russell, Russell is that storyteller and he's just got this brand new story. And I think there's a, 
a side of Vernon and Medora who want their story told. And I, I don't know whether that's true to their characters, but in my head, that was the first thing that popped in. Well, and that ties in perfectly with the final scene where he's, he's in the hospital bed and his daughter's like, what happened? He's like, oh, I've got a story for you. So <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. The, the whole, like it's a storyteller's story. And that's what this whole movie is almost about. Um, but I do think that relationship with the wolves and the fact that they know this was, was quite important as well. Hmm. Uh, yeah. Okay. Good. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, uh, what else have you got? Ask me some more. <laughs> the only other question I had was, is this a Christmas movie? <laughs> Because the song on the, the song on the credits. <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, well, because it's it's Christmas. It's it's. Yeah. I think there's decorations and stuff. Um, I'm sort of in jest because I know we spoke about it that like a couple time. of weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> Good. No, nah, yeah, what? Yeah, sure. It can be a Christmas. <laughs> I played a carol over the credits. That's good enough for me. The all right. So I got a few things which I'm probably gonna have to give more context to because I've just got these random questions sort of scribbled down. Sure. Um. So at the start, when Russell first goes out, we see the pack of wolves are attacking the kid. So if you take that idea that um, the, the, the two main characters are the wolves, is this the kid's dying in that because the kid's actually a wolf as well? And they're right. actually, they can take on those personas of wolves. Um, because if... I probably if, don't take it as literally, but I can that? see what you're saying. Because if, if you did take it as literal as that, then my question is, is the so does the kid kill those other two kids because the other two kids went missing right near their house and he obviously didn't go like you know she sells it oh he went missing here the wolves the other two kids went missing here the only logical explanation for the other two kids going missing in the same spot is that bailey the actual son attacked those two kids because he was a part of a wolf as well Interesting, or whether whether his family has that protection from the wolves so when the wolves actually did attack he was immune in a sense, the same way Medora and Vernar. And even to your theory about the boots and the connection with that family. Because um, Medora did make a comment that, you know, he's left me with this kid with a sickness, with an illness. Does that just mean that because the kid's a product of incest or is that because this kid has the ability or has killed those two kids too? That's, I don't know. That's (laughs) Yeah. I'd never considered that. And I don't, I don't love it. Um, I think I, I, I kind of like it more as a nod to the incest. Yeah. Um, but I, you, you, there's enough. It, it's a difficult thing to say it's explicitly incorrect. So there's enough there. So, so then I guess, so you get that scene where Vern's shot. There he's in the, the war, you know, the theater of war is in the situation. He gets shot. I didn't see anyone else get injured. So was, was this just from this ritual that Medora is sort of having where um, this is the exact moment that Bailey's dying or like, or cause I know in the film, they sort of show it that, that, that he was shot before Bailey disappeared almost. No. Yeah. He was on his way. Anyway, was whatever after, it was after. Yeah. So whatever it was like, was that just a, a reckoning of, of this connection that they've got with each other from this pack that, the injury was because of that, that it happened at that exact same time. I don't know. Like I was just, I just thought it was all a little bit. Also to your point, it was, it was in the neck as well. So there's, there's Mm, some extra connection there. Uh, Yeah. I I think that's, that's not bad. Whether it was almost like a summoning of him coming home in a sense or to summon him home, uh, maybe something like that. But yeah, coincidence doesn't feel like this kind of films uh, wheelhouse. 
No. And then it's the same, that idea that, you know, Medora calls um, Russell to come and kill the wolf. Is that because she wanted him to kill her wolf and kill her and end her life because of all the, the bad things that she'd done? Because I, I don't know, like, there's just so many, like there's these two ways that I, I don't know which way I'm going to take it, whether I take it that they have that, that persona of the wolves as well, or whether this is just that, that their story of, of, you know, illness, mental illness and, and darkness and, and things like that. That's a nice idea though, that she wanted him to come and kill her wolf. And yeah. And, and almost like the fact, maybe, maybe the fact your point about the strangling almost set her free. Maybe the fact that he didn't kill her was, was the negative for her. And that's why she ended up just bailing on it. Bailing, Cause yeah. oh, that was my, that was my chance to, to be set free. Now I'm going to have to go and, and go to plan B. Um, and, and, but the other thing for me is that the, her writing to him in the first place is potentially that idea of, I want my, I want, I want a storyteller to see my story. Um, because really, I don't know. I just kind of like that. Yeah. And if she knows his story, she knows he's not going to kill a wolf. So she's, yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Because he's, he's, you know, in his yeah. stories, he's obviously said, I've only killed one and I hated it. And so Good point. Yeah. Good point. Um, there's just so many different little things that you just don't know how to take with it. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then like at the end in that scene, in those hot springs where um, Vernon grabs her by the throat and it's like, he's ready to kill her. Is it because the mask comes off that he stops that without the mask though, he, he was never going to like, cause she's, you see that specifically that mask comes off and then they start making out or whatever it is. If mm. the mask stayed on, would he have killed her? Um, potentially. I mean, we, we sort of spoke about the idea that when he had the mask on, that was when he was basically a ruthless killer. Um, but I, I also wonder whether that strangling of the throat is, I don't know. We see it a little bit. Um, whether it is just a wolf thing and it's, I don't know, maybe it was the, him, the way he greeted her and it was, we were thrown off by it. I, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I've read something. I read something somewhere where I was talking about, you know, that the, he went and killed that sort of elderly lady because she was the one saying that their relationship was like the devil and those sorts of things. And that was revenge on her. And then mm. he went and killed the, the Indian tracker because he'd obviously had that. He made that comment about, you know, your dad was trying to cure you. There's something wrong with you. So that was like pure revenge on his dad because he hated his dad. And then obviously like at the end of the film, when you say Russell gets saved and then did you pick, did you think that that was their mum sitting there? There's this one. So when he, when um, Russell crawls out to the snow and he sort of, you think it's all over and then you see you know, oh. him being dragged. There's this one woman that looks exactly like Medora mm-hmm. sitting there watching over them. Um, and she oh, that's boots. right. The one that, yeah. Yeah. yeah oh so God. Me, yeah. So to me, that's, it's those boots are the reason why I wasn't attacked. And then, yeah, because then obviously she knows those boots belong to her son. Yeah, wow. Okay. I never I never thought of that at all. But I, I think that's really strong. Good one. Um, oh man, this is cool. <laughs> there's like there's and then um I'm nearly done, sorry. The the, the other no, thing that right. I was gonna ask, so the the end, they they drag the coffin. So uh, Vernon and Medora grab get the they undick the coffin, they drag it off, and then there's those two wolves following them. So are they, are those wolves going to attack them or are they joining the pack? Is that their wolves themselves? Like, is that like they're the ones that they <laughs> So my read, my read almost is that they're going to feed the, the kid to the wolves. Um, similar to the, the pack behavior where you, you feed the, 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 the pups, I guess, get fed. Okay. Um, so that's them coming back into the pack almost. Cool. Good. I think that, yeah, sorry. I've, that's, a, I've rambled on a bit, but um, yeah, I, 
there's just lots of things going through my head with this and I didn't know how to, to put it down. Great. Properly. No, that's, that's the whole purpose. This <laughs> we, we're not experts on movies. We just want to like, we watch a movie and want to talk about it and, and unpack it as much as possible. And uh, I think this is the perfect movie for it. All right, good. Well, let's, uh, let's start to wrap it up. So we give a rating out of five for our overall flicks form average. So what are you going to give this one MJ? Look, this was a good movie. Uh, I, I love the pace. I love the changes in narrative to where I thought it was heading. All the characters existing in this bizarre, perfect harmony together. And just the subtleties throughout the throughout the film were great. Um, all in all, I think the story itself worked for me. Uh, I really appreciated the way it was told. And especially after this conversation, I know that I definitely benefit from a rewatch. But it's a really solid three and a half stars for me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm the same, like watching this, I was, I was, I was struggling to, to work out what was going on at times and the thought process after and, and getting involved with the ideas makes me want to rewatch this almost straight away as well. Um, mm-hmm. Even at a four out of five. Um, so that gives us a average of a 3.75. I think I definitely, it would definitely get a four or even more for me if I watched it again. Um, yeah. I, that's the, that's the kind of film this is. Hmm. Good. All right. Well, um, we're back. Oh, we're on social media. We have, um, we have Twitter, we have Facebook, we have Instagram. We pop some questions up there, some posts. So follow along if you can. This week, I just wanted to take something completely different. I was just wanted to know, do you have any good snow trip memories <laughs> that don't involve <laughs> being honest, sliced through the neck or murdered? Or <laughs> <laughs> I, I have barely been to the snow. I, I reckon I've been a couple of times as a kid. Like my family isn't very snowy, so to speak. So. I have very, very few snow memories. Yeah, sorry, so yeah. I, I, I think the main thing for me is I wouldn't want to go anywhere like in the locations in this film. Uh, but <laughs> a c- couple of, um, I got a couple of like mostly good memories from mainly America where, where I've seen snow have been the, the good memories um, yeah. near Yosemite and um, the Grand Canyon, places like that, where just, you just get to see different places to, to at home, I guess. Yeah. All right. Well, um, yeah, we are back again next week. So, if you if you've enjoyed our ramble for this one, um, stick with us for next week because we we have a drama next week. It's a 2018 oh. film called Private Life, um, directed by Tamara Jenkins, and it stars Paul Giamatti, Catherine Han, Kaylee Carter, Molly Shannon, John Carroll Lynch, Desmond Bogues, and Dennis O'Hare. So give that one cool. a watch if you want to check it out next week with us. I will. Are you asking me or are you asking the audience? Because I I'll, I'll check it out. <laughs> Good. Thank you. You've made that joke before. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, I'm looking forward to um, catching up next week and hopefully that that one's not as big a head scratcher. So I don't have to think as hard. Yeah. Who knows? Look, I kind of hope it is. It's, um, it's an appealing way to watch a movie when it, uh, when it doesn't give you all the answers. I liked it. Good. All right. Well, uh, thank you. And I'll see you then. You certainly will. 